Good morning. Good morning. It's nice to be back with all of you. If I haven't met you yet, my name is Nick, and I uh, serve on the board here at Chair City. Your pastors have been friends of mine for many, many years. I've uh, been a fan of what's going on here and trying to serve in any way I can. I work with a, a family of churches called the Assemblies of God and oversee ministers and development and churches and those sort of things. But this is a highlight for me to be able to be with you and to share <clears throat> this morning. So I'm not texting my wife or anything. I just want to set my clock so that, um, so that I'll stay on time. Oh, there's a clock up there. Ah, oh, even cooler. <sighs> Just stand up and leave it 30 minutes. I'll take the hint. That's true. That's fair. I, that is fair. I wonder, well, we could talk about that a lot. <laughs> um, well, I just would encourage you this week. Uh, to pray for your pastor and his family. You know, times away are rare. Ministry, you almost have to get a thousand miles away before you can slow down a little bit, and then it takes some time, but, you know, they'll be back next week and rolling, and so glad that, uh, that you made it possible for them to do that. So we're in beginning a new series today uh, called 24, as you saw. And anybody here a fan of the show 24? Am I the only one? Okay, so a few of you who have never, ever seen the TV show 24. Raise your hand. So all of my illustrations are now gone. <laughs> so I need to go back and re... No, not really. I'm okay. What we're looking at is the few hours uh, that lead up to uh, the death of Christ, this 24-hour window. You know, I've, I've, um, I've learned a lot about final things and final moments and I think another role of my life here at the church is to bring the counterbalance to your pastor because I'm a Patriots fan and a Red Sox fan. And I know you suffer in deficit here. And so whenever I come, I try to bring, you know, a creative tension that will minister to you in that area. <clears throat> but final hours and, and even final minutes, they do something for all of us, right? They, they narrow the focus. They, they help us to, to, to kind of rise the intensity that, oh, we're toward the end, or we're toward something. Now, in sports, now my son is a huge NBA fan. He's a Celtics fan. He's season tickets. And, and I always tell him, I don't have to watch NBA basketball until the last two minutes. Because pretty much all the games come down to the last two minutes. And so to be fair with our time, I just watch the last two minutes. Now in those last two minutes, something very distinctive happens. The, the game almost slows down. My wife would say, why do they say two minutes? That game's not going to be over for 15 more minutes because of all the timeouts and the managing of the seconds. Why? Because it's the final moments. And games are win and lost in the final moments. Now, those of us that, that do like the Patriots, we know that um, the final moments make all the difference. In fact, we have come to be extremely spoiled by the last two minutes of almost any game 
Even if we don't win, we're in the game. It's usually very close. And we know in the final moments that we want the ball in one place, and that's in Tom Brady's hands. Because if that happens, we have the potential, not that we guarantee it, we learn that, we learn that in the Super Bowl, it doesn't mean we win, but we're in the game till the end. But he has given us great thrills over the decades of winning. Now, there is something that happens in football, and it comes down to this automatic timeout. You don't have to call it. The game stops, the clock stops, and it's called the two-minute warning because it's down to the final moments. So in, in sports world, we know whether it's the, the seventh game of the World Series and the ninth end and the game is tied. We know that there's an intensity in final moments. Whether it's a football game, you know, Tom Brady, I heard him say once, it takes 22 seconds on the clock to go the entire length of the field and score a winning touchdown. Nobody does it better than him. We know in the NBA, who do you want to have the ball? You want the best player to have the ball in their hands at the last second to shoot the last shot. And we hope that when the ball's in the air, what happens? The buzzer goes off, the backboard turns red, and the team you like wins the game. The final moments. You know, in life, final moments are also very tense. Now, I've been in pastoral ministry nearly 40 years now. And I've been in the final moments of people's lives. I've been at their bed when they pass from this life to the next life. And I've noticed that the things people care about and talk about in the final moments are different than any other time in their life. They want things said that weren't said. They want to do things that maybe they didn't do. They want those that are closest to them to be around them. Why? Because it's the final moments, and people pay attention in the final moments. You're at the edge of your chair in the final moments. My stepdad uh, was, had lung cancer, was dying of cancer, and had gone to the place where he was on a respirator and gone to the place that the family and he had decided to come off the respirator. I was in Boston doing ministry at the time, and and uh, I got a call, and some of you heard me tell this story before. And, and my mom said, you know, uh, you know, your stepdad wants you here, you know, before they turn off the machine. So I can remember flying on the plane, and all of a sudden it was different than any other sermon I'd ever prepared for. It was different than any other conversation that I had ever had, because now it was going to be the last sentences in someone's life. It was really important. I was scared out of my mind because I didn't want to mess it up because if I messed this up, I wouldn't have time to fix it. He apologized already for moving this mic, but then I can see you guys over here. Yeah. <laughs> so I get to the office in my, or I get to the hospital and my stepdad says, he looks at me and and he can't talk, he has a respirator, and he writes on a piece of paper, he says this, tell me about heaven. And so I opened up the scriptures, and I shared with him in those final moments. And then they turned off the machine, and then he slipped into eternity. See, these final moments 
are so important for so many reasons. And in the Jesus story, these last few hours that we're going to look at over these three weeks leading up to the greatest high holiday of the Christian church, which is Resurrection Sunday. And so next week we'll look at, um, I'll check my notes because I won't be here. (laughs) (laughs) The last temptations, and then the crucifixion, and then the resurrection. This 24-hour window is so important. But today, we're going to look at something that's so familiar for those of you that maybe grew up in the church. And those of you that are new to faith and somebody just tricked you to come this morning and said if you came, they'd take you out to lunch, um, you could just listen in and get a picture of Jesus in his final hours. We're going to look at what's affectionately called the Last Supper. Now, if you were to uh, go into my house right now, you you would go in the the dining room and you would see a table it's not necessarily a beautiful table it's not necessarily a modern table Uh, it's a big table and it's solid it's made of ash which means it's really strong and i've often said that uh, nobody could pay me enough to get that table but i'm not really sure about that (laughs) But I really believe it's, it is true. Because you see, that table has been in my home since shortly after I married my wife. And it's on that table all four of my kids have been raised. My oldest one is 30, my youngest, or 31, my youngest one is 21. It's around that table that we made announcements of change in ministry or change in life or change in location it's around that table that we celebrated birthdays and graduations and achievements it's around that table that that we cried at the loss of people we loved and my children at the loss of somebody they loved in a breakup it was at that table that we wrestled with the things of life and whatever came our way and we also enjoyed great food and and lingering moments to share life together and that table is so precious to me that i really don't think i would ever let it go because that that table reminds me of is a it's almost like an anchor in my life it's, it represents my marriage, my children, my past, my future. It represents my conversation. It represents untold numbers of prayers and discussions and tears and laughter. And many of you have those tables. I mean, you may have traded in for something that looks nicer, but you still have the table. You see, there's something about a table. And there's something about eating together you see life is often hard doesn't always go the way you drew it up in fact if we were to pause for a moment you would think and how many times have i said i didn't see that coming this is not the way i planned it or why did this work out this way that's what life is 
We do our best, and then stuff comes along. Joy, pain, success, failure, victory, loss, life. And in the middle of all that, we struggle for something that is stable, something that won't change, something that won't rise and fall with illness, something won't rise and fall with success, something that won't rise and fall with disappointment, something that won't rise and fall with distraction, something that is that is stable, someone that is sure. It's why many of you are in this room today. It's why many of you stood to your feet and, and begin to sing these declaration songs about who God is. Because we want to come around a table that's secure. I know some of you right now might feel, and this is not a, it's not a prophetic word. It's just this number of people in this room. There's probably people that came in today overwhelmed. Like life is like the wave just crashed and another wave's coming and I don't know if I can keep this up. Some of you may come in this morning and you're surprised by a turn of events and you have to manage a little bit differently now. Maybe you don't have the money you thought you had or the job you thought was secure suddenly is insecure or the relationship that you had that was so wonderful is now shaking a little bit and, and, and your world is, is wobbling a little bit. There's some of you like that this morning. And then others, you come in this morning and you're just killing it. Life is good. I mean, you, you just touch things and everything works out well. And you, you, you're just, I, I call it fourth gear. You know what fourth gear is? Low RPMs, but you're covering a lot of ground. I love fourth gear, but I find myself in first gear a lot. You know, just, ah! <laughs> and some of you, you know, you just, uh, you have relationships that are great. So it's all mixed up, right? And the only place that everything's all mixed up comes together is at a, pretty much at a table. Because what we want is something that will sustain us, something that will nurture us, something that has life. And so this morning, I want to invite you to sneak into a room with me and kind of lean up against the wall. And as we stand in that room together, look over the shoulders at a group of people that are having dinner together. And it's like any other special occasion dinner. There's an occasion that brought it, like a Thanksgiving or a Christmas, in this case, Passover. There's a person who organized the meal. There's those who prepared the meal. And everybody at this table that we're looking at this morning knows each other they've they've been together they've shared life together they've shared success and failure fear and joy they've they've shared all that together now there's they're they're in a room and they're they're having a meal and it's somewhere between a party and a celebration and a ceremony and a strategic meeting and we get to listen in 
we affectionately call it the Last Supper. See, Jesus loved being around tables. The first four books of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, we have four people who were observers of Christ and told the story of Christ. And as they tell the story of Christ, they tell it from a little different nuance. One of my favorite of those four is is the book of Luke, and that's where we're going to spend our time this morning. Luke telling us the story of this, this, this dinner in the final hours of Jesus' life. But if you go into the book of Luke, you discover Jesus loved hanging out at tables. That's where he was fine, just like all of us, right? Let's let's go have dinner together. Let's go have lunch together. Let's meet for coffee. We love to be around tables. We find the first time he's invited in in Luke chapter 5 to the tax collector Levi's house. He says, come to dinner. Jesus comes to dinner and the religious folks don't like it. Say, why are you, the rabbi, the teacher, having dinner with those people? And then in Luke chapter 7, we see that the Pharisees now, the religious people, throw a dinner and invite Jesus. And while they're at the dinner, this woman crashes the dinner and walks up near Jesus and begins to weep and begins to to cover his feet with her tears and to take her hair down and wipe those feet. And, And the religious people say, don't you know who she is? You can't let her touch you. See, sometimes people come to dinner that aren't invited. (laughs) Isn't that true? And, you know, it's the loud, weird, uh, weird uncle, or somebody comes, and you go, oh, no, this just went south, you know. But in this moment, the, the religious people say, Jesus, what are you doing? And he's saying, she understands who I am. You don't. She knows what it is to be broken and, and hurt and misunderstood, and she knows who I am. Jesus loved being around tables. He, in Luke chapter 10, He's with his friends, not the the first people he met, the tax collectors, not the religious people. Now it's Martha and Mary and Lazarus, those that were close to him. He's having dinner, and there's a little squabble that takes place, and he manages that. And then he has a meal on the hillside with 5,000 people one day. (laughs) And then he tells about a meal that was put on for a young man who ran away from his father and came home. Jesus valued tables. And then one day he's walking, and this guy's up in a tree, and he says, come on down, I want to go to your house for dinner. See, Jesus Jesus valued these moments, but all of those stories, he was the guest, and now he is the person in charge of the dinner. Now he's the one who's called the dinner. Now he's going to direct the conversation of the dinner. It's his. He's the host. And the intensity of this meal, there's no way I can describe it for all of us because we're somewhat familiar at some level, but the intensity is they all know Jesus is about to die in a matter of hours because he's told them that. And they all know that he's going to leave them and they're going to have to lead. And they know that there's a lot of confusion and everybody's not going to know what to do. And so they kind of huddle in this room that we're looking in on. And there's that mix, and you've seen it, of of tense conversation and nervous laughter and storytelling. And then direction. And then the 
the very work of God that takes place because it's the final hours. And so we pick up the story in Luke chapter 22, and it's, it's, it's dozens of verses, and so I'm just going to tell you the story, but I encourage you to read this story in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. But in Luke, the first thing we see is they're outside of the city of Jerusalem, and, and Jesus tells uh, a couple of his disciples, just walk into the city and you'll see somebody carrying some water and, and say, you know, we're here, the teacher sent us, and just follow him wherever he goes. It's just kind of weird. I mean, it's kind of weird. But they go. And he says, when you get there, prepare the Passover meal, which is a very significant holiday that I'll mention in a moment. You see, Passover was familiar to everybody in the room, though it's not maybe familiar to many or all of you. Many of you are familiar, but some of you may not. We're, most of us, I'm guessing, are not from a Jewish background. And so Passover is different, but historically, it celebrated the work of God to deliver people, the power of God to protect those he loved. And it was a perfect timing for this final meal. You see, the slaves are in Egypt, and God had communicated and commanded the Egyptians to let his people go. And they refused to do it. And so he brought these terrible plagues. And at one point, an angel was going to come and literally uh, slaughter their firstborn. But if they were to take the blood of a slaughtered sacrificial lamb and, and, and put it over their house, they would be protected. And that became symbolic a real event that became a symbolic moment of God's love for his people and so when the angel of death came it passed over wherever this blood was now don't miss this on this night it was purposeful what Jesus was about to say it was purposeful that it was the Passover, that these final hours of Jesus' life were the Passover. And God told the Israelites, you should celebrate this forever. Now Jesus sits down at the table, and he says something that's very interesting. He says, I have eagerly awaited this moment. I say it's interesting because it's a very painful moment. But he understands the cost and what the cost is going to produce. And so he looks at those that were closest to him. They had been through it for three years. And he says, this is a moment. I imagine he probably filled in the gaps and says, I'm not avoiding the suffering. I'm glad you're here. We're going to get through this together. And then he took some bread in verse 19 of chapter 22 and he, he held it in their hands and, and, he, and he broke it. He said, this is, whenever you eat bread and you break it, remember, my body was broken for you. And they breathed a, a deep breath. And, and then after the meal... I think that word after is so important because that means there was a lot of conversation. Now, some of you know that a dinner is just an excuse for a conversation. Some of you love lingering around the table and talking. 
and the banter that comes in a great meal. After that meal, and I don't know what the conversation was, but it could have had things to do with things like, man, do you remember when that guy came out of the grave when you said, come out? <laughs> or remember when, when the leper, you know, instead of you just saying be healed, you walked over and touched him and you're not supposed to touch lepers? Remember when, when Jesus spit in the ground and stirred it up and put it in the blind man's eyes? And they said, remember, or remember when he talked to the waves and they were quiet? Or remember when the... You know, the Pharisees tried to trap you. Remember people tried to throw you off the cliff? I don't know what stories they told. But they told stories. And then it got tense, right? Because sometimes around tables, the tensity rises. And, and Jesus says, by the way, um, one of the guys at this table, he's, he's, he's going to betray me in just a few hours. Everybody's looking around and Judas stands up and says, excuse me, I need to go to the restroom. <laughs> he doesn't come back, right? And then they talk about, wait a minute, Jesus, you're going to leave us, you're going to go to the kingdom. Who's going to sit at your right hand? Who's going to be most important in heaven? And then Peter, who tended to um, lead with his heart, he said, man, he said, I'll die for you. He said, actually, Peter, before tomorrow morning, you're going to deny me three times. I mean, that's, that's a lot of conversation. And then he takes this cup, and he holds it up, and, and they all take their glass of wine, and he said, whenever you drink this, remember, you're protected, you're forgiven, you have hope, you have life. There's a new relationship. This is a new day. The old promises are gone. The new promises are here. When you drink this cup, remember your history doesn't have a stranglehold on your future. Remember, you can come to the living God standing up and, and just like you did this morning, lifting your hands and worshiping and not worry about being struck down because of your rotten hearts. <laughs> it's this cup. What a meal. I mean, what a moment. And then... They all take it and they, they take it in and they, they think about it. And then he said, and then there's, there's a moment when we'll, we'll meet around the table again. This is my only 24 TV show illustration. All right. Jack Bauer is the star. And Jack Bauer, literally in every show, is in a near-death experience. In fact, multiple near-death experiences. And many people around him die. <laughs> Jack is saving the country. So I had a friend who had back surgery, and he had never watched 24. And at that point, there were, you know, three or four seasons. So I said, man, you know, you're going to be laid up, you can't move, you got to get, you know, go get the season one of 24. So he does, and, and, uh, and then he... He calls me. He just like, you know, binge watch the whole thing. Because you have to, right? Because it leaves you hanging at the end of each one. And he said something to me. He said, Nick, every single episode I thought, Jack Bauer is going to die. Jack can't get out of this situation. And then I remembered, there's season two. <laughs> and that's exactly what Jesus was saying to them. Right now is really hard. 
Right now, you're not sure how to get out of a situation. Right now, you're going to watch me die a, a terrible death. But let me remind you, there's another season. And so they came away from that meal thanking God that a body was broken so that they could have life and they could partake in that life with the bread. And remembering that blood was going to be spilled so that they could worship the living God and they could live life forgiveness. And remembering that he said, this isn't it. There's another season and we'll be together. Again, what that tells us is no matter what we face, God is aware and we can be thankful. God has made provision so we can come to him. And whatever we face is temporary because there's another season. And in that season, it takes what is flipped upside down and put it right side up. It takes what is broken and put it together. Holds our heart, holds our life in very profound ways. You see, you and I are invited to live in this conversation. It's kind of the conversation between the bread and the wine. It's this conversation that's messy. It has some great stories and some great pain. But it's a season, and there's another season. When our Savior, who yes, we'll see in just a few weeks as we celebrate Resurrection Sunday, burst out of the grave and says, season two is being inaugurated. Hold steady. You see, you're invited to that conversation to be thankful, to live at that table. In fact, if, if it was possible to leave the walls of that room and then pull up and pull up a chair next to Paul and, or excuse me, Peter, Paul wasn't there, Peter, <laughs> James and John, say, hey, you know, here's Jim, he wants to sit between James and John. He wants to hang out with you guys, sit at the Savior's table. Every one of us are invited to that table. Some of you have, have eaten there and lived there and nurtured there and understand the power of the broken bread and the power of the spilled blood and the knowledge of another season. Some of you have been there and left. And now you smell the bread this morning. You said, man, where's my table? Where's the chair at the table? Some of you have never been to the table, and that's what I want to pray for all of you. The prayer goes something like this. Lord, I've really tried to manage my life, and some good and some bad. But at the end, I'm not the best in charge. I've made mistakes, and I want to turn it over to you. I want to turn it over to you because you're a reckless lover who, who spent not, was not afraid of anything to the point of sending his son to walk and to live and to die and to produce life. And so I'm I just turning it over. Here's my life. That's a prayer. And you do that prayer, and you, you, have, a, you have a chair at the table. 
Now it's still in the mess between the bread and the wine. There's another season. So you can get nurtured through the mess. Does everything work out? No, there's still pain, sickness, death, brokenness that we still have to manage all the time. But we're not alone and we're not without tools to manage it and we're not without hope. That, my friends, is good news. For some of you, it's a reminder. For some of you, it's the first time. And so, as we begin looking at these final 24 hours, we begin with a meal. A meal around a table and a conversation between the bread and the wine. And with the absolute confidence that there's another season coming. Ask the band to come back, and I'm going to pray for you. Not just stand together with me just because you've been sitting a while. It's always nice to stand up. I have this watch that tells me to stand up every 30 minutes. I say, I don't want to stand up now. I'm just getting work done. <laughs> As the band comes, let me, let me ask you this question. Isn't that a table that you want to sit at? Man. I mean, is there... Some of you have had this experience when you've been invited to an event and you can't wait to get there. Clicking off the days. It's going to be so delightful. Friends and delight. I just want to pray for you. If you're far from God, if you're close to God, if you've been with God your whole life, let me just... Pray with you. And I also want you to think about those that you love and care about that may be up against the wall, not sitting at the table, maybe sitting outside looking in, maybe just walking by, not paying attention, need to yell at them. Say, hey, come on over for dinner. <laughs> Let me pray with you. God, thank you for this picture of Jesus setting the table. A table that's set for all of us. A table that is forgiveness, is hope, is purpose. A table that takes our brokenness and gives us hope for wholeness. A table that takes our lostness and gives us direction for the future. A table that secures our life in the midst of chaos. And we go to that table right now. And those who may have never known a closer relationship with the living God through the person of Christ. We ask that this would be a pivotal moment. And they would say, okay, here's my life, Lord. And those who may be pulled back, pushed back from the table because of disappointment or confusion, they'd reach down and scoot the chair back up and say, I want to be close to the living God. And God, those that just love the banquet table of Jesus, would continue to be people of hope and redemption in this city and this region. And we thank you for it. So thank you for these first few hours of the last 24 hours. And may they kind of rivet themselves to our soul over the next seven days as we think about the last day Jesus was walking on the planet. Thank you for these men and women transform our lives as we sing this song we invite you god to speak afresh into our lives in jesus name
Amen. God bless you.